Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to this solo round of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Today on the show, I want to talk all about intermittent fasting and various fasting techniques because I feel like there's a lot of confusion around what exactly constitutes fasting and what exactly constitutes intermittent fasting and why are these potentially so beneficial? How should we be implementing them? And uh, so if we can kind of go through some of the various aspects of fasting, which ones or which ways are have shown to be the most beneficial, and then if I can give you some strategies on how you can implement these on your own and clear up a little bit of the confusion, then I assume that would be something that would be beneficial for you because I get a lot of questions about what the best form of intermittent fasting is, and I talk to a lot of people that are quote-unquote starting intermittent fasting, and it's not really fasting. And so let's dive in a little bit and talk about what is intermittent fasting and the various forms and, and, and so on and so forth. So all intermittent fasting is is really basically cycling through patterns of eating and fasting. And so what most people are familiar with is going for a prolonged period or what's perceived as a prolonged period of time of fasting. So let's just say from, uh, you know, let's say you, you stop eating dinner at by 8 p.m. at night and you don't eat again until noon the following day, in which case that would be 16 hours of quote-unquote fasting with an eight-hour eating window. Now, this is known as the 16-8 method or the lean gains method that was developed by, uh, or popularized, I should say, by a guy by the name of, name of Martin Birkin. Um, and, you know, so that's one way of doing intermittent fasting. Another way would be to do a 24-hour fast on one day and to eat on the following day. Um, but essentially all it is is compressing your eating window into a certain number of hours per day. Now you can do this one day a week, you can do it multiple days a week. There's really no kind of clinical definition of what constitutes intermittent fasting. It's just exactly how it sounds. It's it's sort of going periods of, uh, you know, compressed periods of eating and, and prolonged periods of fasting uh, one or multiple times throughout the week. And, and there's a number of different ways to do this. So there's time-restricted feeding. And I'm kind of I'm combining this time-restricted feeding idea. Some people would say it's different, but I, I would just classify it as a form of intermittent fasting. And that's basically eating within the same feeding window daily. So as an example would be you stop eating by 8 p.m. at night and you don't eat again until 8 a.m. in the morning. And that's 12 hours of fasting, which we all should be doing normally. That's heavily supported through clinical research and and through the blue zones. And if you're not familiar with the blue zones, it's basically the regions of the world that have the most centenarians or the people that uh, the most number of uh, people in one isolated location that have exceeded 100 years of age. 
and and there's you know various components that have contributed to their longevity all revolving around nutrition and physical activity and community aspects and mindset however the nutrition aspect is all of these communities practice some aspect of fasting or caloric control to the degree that they're all going at least 12 hours a day uh, without eating in between, eating any calories in between. I think that's a really, really important concept that we all should be practicing is at least 12 hours. So um, I'm of the opinion that it should be earlier, and I'll explain why in just a bit. Um, I've been doing a lot of research about this, and there's a lot of cool research about meal timing and meal frequency and why some of the things that we've, you know, some of the conventional wisdom around intermittent fasting in terms of in terms of skipping breakfast and then going bigger later in the day in terms of the meal volume could potentially be wrong and actually uh, be detrimental to our health to some degree to our health and hormones. And, and I'll explain why. But um, so the time-restricted feeding is just kind of a set uh, eating pattern. Now, I talked about within the time-restricted feeding, you could certainly fit in the lean gains or the 16-8 method because a lot of people like to do this on a daily basis. And um, so that, again, is just compressing your eating into an eight-hour eating window. Um, however, uh, you know, a lot of these intermittent fasting techniques aren't necessarily talking about how to build out your meals within that eight-hour window. They're simply creating a level of caloric restriction by virtue of not eating the other 16 hours of the day, which is actually fine to some degree for some people, depending on what those goals are. But I'll I'll also jump into why it's potentially not as beneficial as maybe eating more frequently throughout the day, but actually being more cognizant of what your you you know what your macronutrient build out is in terms of protein, carbs, and fats. Hitting enough protein throughout the day, monitoring your fat and carbs in between meals, your meal timing, so the period of time in between those meals. So there's so there's so many different nuances of it that I can understand why people are confused. But again, the purpose of this this hopefully short episode is just to break down, okay, what is intermittent fasting? Why is it potentially beneficial? How can we do it? And where to get started? Okay, so we talked about intermittent fasting being just cycling between periods of eating and fasting. And very simply, it could be going for a prolonged period of fasting a few days per week. The time-restricted feeding within that is, at, at the very minimum, 12 hours of fasting every single day. And... Another aspect of intermittent fasting could be the alternate day fasting method. And that's just as it sounds, is basically eating every other day. And what a lot of people like about this is you can basically eat whatever you want on your eating days because you're fasting. Uh, every other day of the week. And so whether that's three days of fasting and four days of eating or or vice versa, you can rationalize consuming significantly more calories on your feeding days 
because at the end of a given week, you will have omitted three complete days of what would potentially have been, you know, 2,000, let's just say standard American diet, 2,000 calories. Well, the standard American diet recommendations of 2,000 calories, but we know standard American diets significantly higher that higher than that on average. So that's one way of looking at it. However, that is a very difficult uh, way to do it for most people. And what works much better is the eat, stop, eat method. And this is basically a method of intermittent fasting for 24 hours once per week. And I know a lot of people in the health space that practice this form of fasting. I myself do it frequently in terms to, you know, to the degree that it's basically stop eating again, let's say at 8 p.m. the night before. So let's just say it's a Sunday night. I stop eating at 8 p.m. And I don't eat again until 8 p.m. the following night. And that would be 24 hours of fasting. Now, they, that time frame may not necessarily be ideal simply because you're eating again late at night and, and you're, uh, you know, you, you would probably want to eat a lot at that meal and then eating that close to bed may not be ideal. But, you know, you could say stop eating at 4 p.m the day prior and then eat again at 4 p.m. the next day and have a reasonable meal don't don't gorge too much and then proceed with your normal dietary intake intake the following days of the week and that's also known as the OMAD diet so the one meal a day acronym OMAD one meal a day diet which would carry over into you know there's there's certain people that swear by just just doing that just eating one meal a day every day of the week and obviously within that is you you can imagine it's it's hard to potentially get enough calories at that one meal per day again it's totally going to depend on what your goals are but you know if your goal is weight loss then one meal a day could serve you quite well. However, if your goal is maintaining lean muscle tissue and you have a fair amount of lean muscle tissue, then it's going to be difficult to maintain that lean muscle tissue because you're probably not in a caloric surplus or or even in caloric maintenance unless, unless we start to talk about things like the ketogenic diet and eating a very high amount of fat which can lend itself well to to just one or two meals per day as a means to hit your calorie goals without having to eat too frequently, which is part of the allure of the ketogenic diet and why it works well for people to some degree. So as you can hear, there's, there's a lot of different realms to what constitutes intermittent fasting. And I think what's most important to take away is, if nothing else, simply restricting your calories to a, a given eating window is probably one of the best things that you can do consistently. I mean, the reality is that we're in a, a, a really bad state, you know, as, an Ameri- as the American population um, we're in a very unhealthy state. We're in an obesity epidemic um, that is continuing to escalate. 
you know, we're in an obesity epidemic with our children, with our adults, you know, somewhere around 75% of, of the world's population, uh, well, of the world's population that live in countries where overweight and obesity kills more people than being underweight. So, you know, we're killing ourselves with food. And that's a major, major problem, which is why I'm so interested in fasting and fasting protocols and the perceived benefits of intermittent fasting because it's at the end of the day all it's doing is creating a a realistic way for us to manage our total caloric intake now whether it's 12 hours or 16 hours i don't know that it matters that much as long as it's something that you're implementing consistently so much so that you say all right well if i have my first meal at 6 a.m upon waking then assuming I'm subscribing to this, uh, you know, uh, to this uh, time-restricted feeding model, again, which I think everyone should be doing, then I'm going to, I need to eat my last meal before 6 p.m. And so however you do that, you need to do it. And that I believe, I strongly, strongly believe based on um, epid, 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 what's the word? epidemiology that it's something that are you know that humans are supposed to practice that our ancestors have practiced that through various periods of feast and famine that we practice to one degree or another now i think it's important to understand what some of the perceived benefits and some of the research supported benefits are of this intermittent fasting of the time restricted feeding so let's talk about the the benefits quickly let's talk about the cons um, of intermittent fasting, some of the both research-based and anecdotal evidence uh, supporting it or going against it. And then I want to talk briefly about the fasting mimicking diet because I've mentioned that multiple times before. So the benefits of intermittent fasting are, the main one is, is exactly what I just said, is for weight loss, it's a no-brainer. It's, we're just creating, we're, we're limiting our calorie intake, which is the most important factor when we're trying to lose weight or lose body fat is we have to create a caloric deficit and we have to do it in a way that's going to be realistic for you to implement consistently. I say this time and again, don't subscribe to the latest fad diet because it's going to slash your calories so low or implement some sort of eating regimen that likely is going to be unrealistic for you. So at the end of the day, if we say, well, irrespective of macronutrient intake, so irrespective of how many protein, carbs, and fats per day we take in, if we're figuring out a way to simply reduce the volume of meals or the meal uh, amount that we, uh, you know, that we take in on a daily basis, then we're likely going to be creating some level of caloric restriction, and that is going to help with weight loss. So that's huge. But more clinically speaking is we know that fasting creates a massive surge in human growth hormone and human growth hormone super beneficial it's something we talk about when we talk about strength training when we talk about getting enough sleep um, is because human growth hormone is lipolytic and lip and, and lipolysis is the product is the process of breaking down fat cells so not only does it help us break down fat cells it helps us utilize uh, so what's called fat oxidation helps us utilize fat as fuel. 
And then also by virtue of lipolysis is it helps us preserve lean muscle mass um, with respect to human growth hormone. So all of those components are extremely important because we can be in a caloric deficit consistently. I mean, it's, it's well studied that being in a 25 to 30% caloric deficit consistently is going to help you lose weight. Like there's no question about it, but you're also going to lose a significant amount of lean muscle tissue, of bone density, and you're just not going to be in a very healthy state. There's going to be a point where your immune system is going to start to be compromised. And whereas once it was thought that creating this consistent level of caloric restriction would help improve longevity, it's actually not the case because, as you can imagine, then we're becoming very emaciated. And as I've had other guests on the show talk about the value of lean muscle tissue and, and muscle being the, uh, what Gab- Dr. Gabrielle Lyon talks about, muscle being the, the organ of longevity, then you can understand how we need to do everything in our power to preserve this extremely valuable, metabolically active and versatile, hormonally uh, preserving and engaging muscle tissue. And that's why this human growth hormone is so important. And that's why getting enough meals of the appropriate macronutrient ratios throughout the day, depending on your goals, is so important. And also why Uh, creating this fat, it's important to kind of figure out what works for you in terms of creating this fasting window. So second to the HGH production is insulin sensitivity, right? Where we're becoming more increasingly insulin resistant. We're constantly eating food throughout the day, which is creating blood sugar fluctuations, which is creating uh, massive spikes of insulin uh, secretion, which is leading to uh, insulin resistant when done chronically, which is what is what is happening. So our cells are becoming resistant to the insulin that our body's producing. And what we know is basically that the more insulin sensitive we can become, the more we can utilize insulin, the less insulin needs to be released in order to convert our food, in, food into energy uh, for our cells. And as a result of that, then we're much better able to burn more uh, stored body fat as fuel and similar to human growth hormone or similar to lipolysis is we're able to preserve more lean muscle tissue, the more insulin sensitive we can become. And so that's huge is creating these windows in between meals, not only this extended window of let's say 12 hours from the time we eat dinner to the time we wake up in terms of well that's going to be talking horm talking about hormones like cortisol and melatonin and growth hormone and igf and um and different uh, sleep hormones uh, but the the periods in between meals as well as being very imperative or instrumental periods to help us with the function of leptin and ghrelin and these hormones that are crucial for our hunger and our energy and our satiety and controlling our cravings, but also for helping us tap into stored body fat as fuel. Now, a third component that we talked about that research shows uh, is potentially beneficial for 
Fat loss with intermittent fasting is the production of norepinephrine or adrenaline. Now, this can be good or bad, and I'll explain why. Now, ben- beneficially from a, a, an adrenaline or a norepinephrine standpoint is it's a sympathetic hormone. It's a sympathetic nervous system hormone that's part of our fight-or-flight response that helps our body release stored fat uh, as fuel. So that's potentially a good thing, except when we're in a sympathetic uh, nervous system response all the time, which a lot of us are, to the degree that constantly producing adrenaline, norepinephrine, cortisol, and all of these, um, all of these uh, glucocorticosteroids um, is is potentially a bad thing because then we're you know we're constantly in the sympathetic state and that is going to create some level of of uh, nervous system imbalance and that's not something that we want and that's where this whole intermittent fasting strategy can go wrong if you are the type of person that's constantly in a sympathetic state you feel like you're in some level of adrenal insufficiency and we've talked about that before some level of quote-unquote adrenal fatigue or you just feel like you have a hard enough time managing your stress response as it is that starting to skip meals may not be in your best interest and so that's where we really need to take a hard line on is this something that would be beneficial for you or would you be better suited just to eat some consistent meals of a balance of protein, carbs, and fats throughout the day but without worrying about trying to skip meals or go for prolonged periods of time, whereas you may feel like you already have um, imbalanced blood sugar levels, your sleep may not be optimal, and again, you may be struggling with a lot of stress as it is. So that's, you know, that's a big one to factor in. And then uh, lastly, we talk about a, a big benefit of it, of intermittent fasting having to do with, um, well, various health aspects. Let's just say cardiovascular health um, and improving facets of cardiovascular health or reducing several risk factors associated with cardiovascular risk, uh, you know, cardiovascular disease or heart disease, including lowering LDL cholesterol and triglyceride levels and better blood sugar support. And, and as I said, improved insulin sensitivity. So there's definitely something to that. However, I would argue that if you're simply managing your calories effectively on a daily basis, that in and of itself is going to contribute to those things. Now, a lot of people talk about how insulin fast, uh, yeah, intermittent fasting can help with longevity. And I will say that I have not seen nor heard that this is something that's supported by the literature. Maybe in mice, but I don't even think in mice. And what um, Dr. Walter Longo, who's the head of gerontology through uh, University of Southern California, and he's the one who does all the research into the fasting mimicking diet, and I'm absolutely obsessed with the research he's doing. He's shown that um, these fasting techniques do not, um, well, the, the intermittent fasting techniques specifically regardless of how you slice it, unless it's any kind of term of longer term fasting, do not contribute to 
increased longevity. I mean, with 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 some like so example for example in his mice studies, maybe thirty three percent of the population do experience some aspect of improved longevity. You know, thirty three percent experience nothing, and thirty three percent have a reduced uh, longevity output or have a less you know less longevity or less lifespan. And even the ones that experience improved longevity, the, they're basically, you know, emaciated because of the level of caloric restriction. So I think that's a really important concept that let's not get too carried away with the potential longevity benefits um, right now because I don't think that the research is there. And rather, let's really try and use this as a tool for our goals for right now and what are our goals well most of you listening likely it's going to be improved health and and probably weight or fat loss um, in which case how are you going to implement some aspect of fasting regardless of what you want to call it how are you going to implement it in your day-to-day routine in a way that's going to be uh, consistently beneficial for you Um, Now, one other really important component that I want to talk about with respect to fasting is this idea of autophagy. And autophagy is this process where your cells basically, well, it's, it's, it's this process that's stimulated by fasting, typically more prolonged fasting. So when I talk about prolonged fasting, basically I'm referring to essentially 20 hours, 24 hours and and over that stimulates this process called autophagy, which is where your cells digest uh, all of the debris um, and dysfunctional proteins that accumulate inside your cells. So it's basically like this internal clean-out process. And it's this process that promotes cellular rep- excuse me, repair in the liver and the pancreas and even in the brain that helps not only repair but kind of protect and renew Um, renew liver cells, renew pancreas cells, renew brain uh, neurons. And so this is really fascinating aspect of research that's kind of setting the stage for the potential benefits of people dealing with metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, and all of these degenerative brain diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And I, I mean, I'm telling you, this is very, very fascinating uh, research that in the next few years is um, is really going to be a game changer as to the degree of, of how we can start to use these fasting techniques to really start to benefit our health. And it's something that I've um, alluded to with this fasting mimicking diet. Now, I don't know if it's there yet, but this is a process that um, this is uh, a strategy that's been developed again by Dr. Walter Longo through USC and, and the gerontology, the aging department. And he actually not only has, uh, you know, obviously plenty of uh, mouse studies, but he actually has human clinical data uh, purporting the, you know, the myriad of benefits. Um, and I'll talk about those in just a sec. Um, actually, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to split this podcast into two different episodes. And so in the next episode, I think what I'll do is I'll dive into the fasting mimicking diet. Um, and what it is, why it's potentially beneficial, how to do it, and how I created my version of the fasting mimicking diet that uh, you can implement, and why I, I feel my version is beneficial. I don't know if it's more beneficial than 
um, Dr. Longo's Prolon version or not, but I'll give you my rationale. I don't want to make this one too long. I've already gone almost 30 minutes. So, so we talked about the, the potential benefits of intermittent fasting. We talked about what it is. Let's talk about some of the cons that I see with intermittent fasting and what people have been doing with intermittent fasting. So first and foremost is I think people are getting in trouble with, with the, they're getting lost and too excited about just the idea of intermittent fasting and want wanting to implement something that's seemingly sexy um, and new and different, just as we do with all different fad diets, um, that I think they're getting in trouble with how their body's responding to it. So I, I mentioned our sympathetic nervous system, our adrenals, our fight or flight response, and how si- simply skipping meals for some people, especially if they have poor blood sugar regulation. So if you're the type of person that, you know, you go a few hours without eating and you start to get hungry and shaky and can't think straight and hangry, right? And your significant other, uh, other knows that you start to be a re- become a real asshole when you, you, know, you haven't eaten for a while, then I got to tell you, you probably are not in a position to be implementing any advanced intermittent fasting strategies. And where you should start is just with time-restricted feeding and saying, hey, I'm just going to commit to going 12 hours without eating. And that in and of itself may be difficult for you, in which case that's a really good place to start. And then, you know, understanding that this whole fasting methodology, there's a significant portion of it that's a learned response. And it's something that you have to start to get comfortable with that... You have to start to identify with feelings of hunger and cravings and mood that, you know, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable and start to push the boundaries of how uncomfortable you're willing to get and how significant the, your your body's response is. And really being honest with yourself is, am I benefiting from this or is this setting the stage for disaster later on? For example... What happens with a lot of people is they tell me, hey, I started intermittent fasting. And so we have to, of course, determine what, what exactly does that mean for you? And typically it's it's shooting for um, a prolonged fasting window. And what most people have been doing is they've been skipping breakfast and going for then an extended period of time before eating their first meal. And that's all good and well, except when that means that your first meal becomes a total blowout. And you end up saying, well, you know, you end up eating twice as many calories at that meal than you would normally. And not only do you do that, but then you end up end up snacking the rest of the afternoon. You have a hard time controlling your cravings. And or you know, maybe your lunch is reasonable, but you end up having a total blowout at dinner because blood sugar levels are all over the place, or you rationalize that you skipped breakfast, therefore you, quote-unquote, deserve more calories um, at dinner, in which case you've totally negated the very purpose and the very benefit of what the intermittent fasting creates in terms of a level of caloric deficit. So identifying with how are you actually plugging this in and how's it working for you? Because I know plenty of people that, that, you know, they start to implement this. They can't control their hunger, energy, cravings. 
Then they have blowout afternoons and evenings. They don't sleep well. They have cravings at night. And then they wake up the next day to try and do it all over again. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. But again, it's this vicious cycle in which case saying, okay, well, maybe that isn't the best idea for me. And despite the fact that Susie in accounting has lost 20 pounds doing her version of intermittent fasting, doesn't really matter because I'm a unique individual and I have determined that this form of fasting doesn't work for work for me. So you've got to be honest with yourself there and understand how your body's functioning and and play around with different versions. Now I will say, and I'm gonna I don't know if I'll include this in the next one, but I've got a I'm going to be doing an episode on on some some more research related to meal timing and frequency and how I believe that this whole extended fasting window from nighttime until midday is totally backwards. And I think that it only makes sense and I'll explain why in terms of circadian rhythms, in terms of hormones, in terms of what our ancestors have done, in terms of access to food and daylight, why I firmly believe that we should stop eating um, at or before the sun goes down. So let's, obviously that's going to totally depend on the time of year, but let's just say it's winter, sun goes down some places at 5 p.m. Well, that should be our last meal. And we should not eat again again until at least 12 hours, in which case that would be much more beneficial for people in terms of giving them um, an optimal fasting window that also would contribute towards improved hormone production uh, during the night. So improved circadian rhythms, improved melatonin production, improved sleep quality, improved growth hormone, but also... Uh, set the stage for better hormone production the next day, improved uh, hunger, energy cravings, leptin, ghrelin production. So I think people need to actually move away from skipping breakfast. I think breakfast should be a large meal. And again, this goes in line with our natural circadian rhythms, what our ancestors used to do, and when it makes the most sense for us as humans and then basically taper on as the day goes on to the degree of having a basically lighter dinner and then not eating before bed. And then your body's in this primed state to fall asleep, for blood to be functioning, uh, to be going you know, to your brain during sleep so that it's not focused on digestion and so on and so forth. So I'm just going to wet your whistle with that and say, I think we need to reframe how we're thinking about this intermittent fasting. I think it's spot on in terms of how it can serve people from primarily, again, a caloric restriction standpoint. But I'm going to start to talk about why our current methodology of skipping breakfast and maybe skipping lunch is the wrong way to look at it. Rather, we should be stopping our eating earlier in the day and and extending our fasting window from early evening instead of later evening so much earlier in the day for optimal benefits uh okay so i think that's probably 
enough for today. We talked about what is intermittent fasting. We talked about the various types of intermittent fasting. And of course, I mentioned many times now that as a means to control your caloric intake, we should be implementing some form of quote-unquote fasting. And it's a really nebulous term that can extend to really any way you want to look at it. Um, But what's most important is within that is this whole time-restricted feeding element. And it's basically just limiting our eating to this sort of window of saying at least a 12-hour window. I think the most people are going to benefit. And what we're seeing consistently, especially with people that are overweight and obese, is we're eating all day long from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed. But especially in these evening hours... Whereas we're just taking in way, way too many calories. So you can imagine if you just actually stopped eating after dinner and stopped the mindless eating uh, of from after dinner until you go to bed, how many calories you would save to say nothing of all the damage that it's doing from a blood sugar, insulin, growth hormone, sleep, and, and vicious cycle standpoint. So I want you to start to wrap your head around that. In the next episode, I'm going to dive into the fasting mimicking diet, how it's different than intermittent fasting, why it's potentially more beneficial, and how you can start to implement it a couple different ways. Uh, And so, yeah, stay tuned for that one. Uh, In the meantime, if you found value in this, guys, I really, please, I would be so appreciative if you could cruise over to iTunes or just pull up iTunes in your phone right now as you're listening. Scroll down to the reviews section. Leave me a five-star rating. Leave me, please, write a five, uh, you know, a positive review about the show, what the value you're finding in the show, because it's the best way that, you know, iTunes is going to recognize that this is a fucking awesome podcast and um, how I can continue to get great guests on the show to serve you better so that I can continue to learn more and you know, do my diligence to provide the best quality information for you to get the best, best results possible. So as always, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune in with me. I hope you are finding this show helpful. Uh, please share this with your friends. Again, leave me a review. And I will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.